You're listening to the South Gippsland Shire Council Election Podcast 2021. As I sit here and acknowledge the Bunurong and Gurnai Kurnai people as traditional custodians of South Gippsland, and we all pay respect to their elders, past, present, and future, for they hold the memories, traditions, culture, and hopes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people of Australia and of our Shire. Let's get into it. In this episode, we hear from Scott Ray running in the Coastal Ward. And this episode was recorded on Thursday, the 30th of September, and we kicked off pretty much around midday. Enjoy. All right. So... So we're recording now. Hello. Uh, this episode, we're with Scott Ray. He's running in the coastal ward, um, beef farmer, sheep farmer, agroforester um, in Foster North, hospitality background, small business ownership, corporate account management, and, a, and complex technology sales. So Scott's a bit like me, been a bit of everything. Um, welcome, Scott. Hi, Craig. How are you? Good, mate. And we just want to point out if the audio is a bit odd here, Scott's sitting on the top of a hill, uh, zooming into this call in his car in the rain. I can see him. He's got a beanie on. So, yeah, he's just driven up to the top of the hill to have this chat. Um, all right, Scott, we start off with the same question for everyone. What's your favourite childhood memory? Probably going fishing with my uncle and my grandfather as a young fella. Out, you know, out in Port Phillip Bay, go out some flathead so yeah and port phillip bay big on, big on the, yeah big on, big on the outdoors growing up lived in melbourne but yeah um used to do a lot of fishing and how long have you been down in gippsland with your farm up there in foster north approaching eight years i still had to unfortunately work in melbourne part-time for a couple of those but i would say i've been here for a good five to six years full-time now yeah, cool. And uh, you're running as an independent. Um, do you want to talk to that independence? Yeah, um, I've sort of noticed as a couple of people said that, you know, is anyone any really ever independent? So I suppose I, I'm very independent. I've grown up being in a family that's very politically aware. I have a mother who's been a staffer or a secretary to federal members of parliament and people like that throughout my life. So to actually see me doing this has astounded a lot of people because I've got a real dislike of politics. Um, and yeah, no one ever thought I'd do this. So yeah, I'm very independent. Um, I suppose a lot of that is the question that I would never want to be holding to anyone because they funded my campaign. I'd never want to be tapped on the shoulder by Trades Hall or Exhibition Street or by, you know, um, Richard Di Natale or Adam Band or whoever's in charge of the Greens now and said, you know, well, you know, you took our money, mate. Now you have to do what the party line says. So I suppose that's why I'm so passionate about being independent. I don't, I don't even want to take money off the, the Forestry Council because I support the native timber industry or off the Farmers Federation because I support farming. I'd just rather donate that, you know, couple of thousand dollars it'll cost me to buy some cards and flyers and a couple of ads and fund it myself no one alone me then and um scott you in our pre-chat before we we're uh, doing this recording you were saying you have a, an immense passion for 
farming and the quality of produce that comes out of Gippsland. Do you want to talk to that? Yeah, look, we, we make some fantastic, grow some fantastic products here. There's all sorts of stuff. There's a lot of beef, a lot of sheep come out of here, a lot of dairy. There's, you know, across all of Gippsland, not just South Gippsland, there's some really good cheese makers. There's great wine through parts of Gippsland. Um, there's, there's beef and sheep and pork producers. I mean, I'm a huge fan of one of the local um, organic pork farms in Fish Creek. The product they make is, you know, world standard. I was a chef by trade and we used to buy some really good quality product from all over the, all over the country. And there's stuff here that's, you know, amazing. And even to just go and forage locally, you know, you can pick pine mushrooms in the forests throughout autumn. Um, there's apples growing on the side of the road on trees and there's people, you know, doing all sorts of things. There's, there's like things like this uh, Prom Coast Food Collective where they, they found all the small niche farmers and they're, they're promoting them. I think that sort of stuff's fantastic. Uh, everything from garlic and honey through to, you know, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I think what Prom Coast Food Collective have done is set up an amazing distribution network into the city for local farmers to get their produce um, sold locally. Um, if you look at the Food Collective's distribution map of where they deliver it, it's phenomenal. All the red dots on a map, how they get the produce into the city. It'd be amazing to yeah, keep, uh, supporting that. And that, that's one of the sort of things that I, I'm really keen on supporting, exploring how you can grow the area and 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 do things like you know, there, there must be guys with ideas. And there's probably people doing things that, you know, I don't even know about, I've never come across, but you don't need a huge plot of land to grow saffron or grow mushrooms or grow garlic. And, you know, I think there's probably better ways to use areas uh, where you can put multiple things on one plot. Like, you know, you might be able to put, bees on a on a plantation timber plantation when the gums are flowering or all sorts of things i just think we need to be smarter and and work more collectively to, to achieve some of these things yeah i do notice that's one of your points in one of your articles in the paper around investment and innovation in agriculture of all scales um, are you connected into any of that innovation at the moment with your farming no, I'm, I'm, I basically bought a very rundown property that had been a dairy for many years traditionally, and then it was converted to beef farming and it actually ended up as a sawmill. So I've sort of got some of the remnants of the, uh, the waste from the sawmill. I'm, even after eight years, I'm still getting rid of and burning and, and trying to clean up the land there. And the other half of my property was actually sold off to a plantation company and was put under plantation blue gums during that whole manage forestry investment schemes so i acquired that after i've been here a year it's an adjoining part of the farm that was originally under the one ownership so i've got a cattle tunnel under the road and cows run under there merrily and they um they graze quite happily and weather like this under the blue gums but that obviously the history of those plantations was not great they um didn't didn't do very well they weren't very profitable they sort of were liquidated a couple of times so the management on that hasn't been great. There's a there's you know a lot of weeds and blackberries and stuff in there. So slowly working through that and looking to restore some of that back to pasture and then continue to grow timber on some of it. So yeah, I've, people say to me, oh you know you've achieved a lot. And I sort of look at it and go, oh have I? And they go, yeah, you've gotten rid of a lot of a lot of the ragwort, a lot of the thistle, and you're starting to clean up a lot of things and repair fences and and exclude you know cows out of some of the creeks and so forth. So yeah, I'm doing stuff, but it's a slow process. 
How much of a challenge is that for, um, say, council who need to put in measures in place for farmers to look after the weeds on their property? And then if you have a irresponsible farmer who's not doing that, how, how much of a challenge do you see that being? Because obviously you're doing the right thing. Yeah, and uh, look, you know, you, you, year after year, you, you tend to get letters from um, government departments, DELP and so forth, and they'll say, you know, you have a, a legal obligation, you must spray your weeds, you must do this, and you sit around and go, hey, you want to ring my neighbours? I've been here two years and I've, you know, done so many loads of, of spray, I've put so many helicopters over, and I've introduced sheep that'll eat the ragwort, and I'm working on them. And, uh, yeah, it becomes interesting, you sort of go from, one the plantation block I own, you know, that was the bad guy. There was a neighbour there who was ringing all sorts of people and saying, you know, look, they've done nothing with these weeds forever. And now I'm sort of, I'm trying to do the right thing. And it, yeah, and look, the council, the council's got so many thousands of kilometres of road here to, to maintain and spray. The reality is they're not going to manage to knock off the blackberries themselves and the weeds on their, their land. You sort of have to spray it yourself from your boundary to sort of the edge of the road in a lot of cases which becomes a challenge, but we slowly win. That's yep. not ideal, but, you know. Yeah, so I, them to I'm definitely enjoying these chats with people on the farm because I'm a suburban kid from northern New South Wales and beaches, so a lot to learn in the farming world. So when you sort of speak about the right to farm, what does, it, what does that mean? Explain that. In well, I suppose the first, one of the big drivers that got me here was last year under the administrators maybe the end of the year before we had a bylaws review and it came out and like all sort of things i just think that the council should have one of the things i say roads rates rubbish and recreation that's the council's job anyway don't take much notice and then i heard a fellow running around going oh look the bylaws review and they want to stop kids riding motorbikes on farm zone land and i went oh okay that's not too cool what's going on here and um I thought, okay, I better go and read this bylaws review and see what's going on. And within it, I've found that even though I'm on a variation of farm zone in part of my property, it's called rural activity zone, they treated it like a suburban block in a town. And even though it's 187 acres, you know, carries you know, 80 or 90 cattle and 70 or 80 sheep, they were expecting me to register my cattle and sheep like cats and dogs in a suburban setting. And I was like, yeah, I don't think that's going to fly. And it, it legally wasn't going to fly. And you sort of went and looked at the, the state government level planning. But they were never going to be able to achieve it. But they made us go through the charade of putting in submissions and opposing it. And I was like, well, if council can be that out of touch with with the rural community here when they're you know, such a big contributor to the areas of economy and to you know, the, the rates pool and everything that council receives... Is sort of, you, well, why, why are they out of the touch? And I suppose you, you had administrators in that had been in councils in the city. They wouldn't have really understood the zoning or anything, and it got pushed, and it got pushed out to the public. So that's the sort of thing that I'm sort of terrified of. You also read about um, Weekly Times two weeks ago, about the third page, Macedon Shire. They want to introduce the red tape and green tape of planning permits to plough a paddock and plant a crop. So lots of farmers will plough up a paddock and plant various crops to feed their livestock, whether they're beef cattle, sheep, dairy cattle, they'll plant things like turnips, uh, rape, millet, uh, brassicas, uh, 
chicory, and they all do things to the soil. That's, that's, that's a good thing for the soil. You, you're bringing up nitrates and you're enriching the soil with them, but you've got to plough. So there seems to be this, this regenerative farming plan and the, these plans that, oh, you can't disturb the soil, it releases the carbon. But you're actually improving the soil in some situations where it's so bad by ploughing. So you sort of go, are we going to end up in a situation where if I want to put something in the ground or I want to plough up these paddocks around my plantation once the, the timber's removed in spots, I'll need to get a planning permit. So what will I end up with? A, a moonscape that I can't work up because someone says, oh, no, that, that might not be all right for the environment. So that's the sort of things I'm, I'm interested in protecting. Then, of course, there's always the, the extremes too. I mean, there's the fellow with the... Um, the goat dairy that was invaded and things like that. You know, that, that really wasn't cool. That's, he's got a legitimate business. He's doing all the right things legally and he's got people invading his, his property with no real repercussions, with dollar fines. So at a, at a council level, you want to be able to ensure that, you know, people are, are legally allowed to farm. Um, you've got the other, the other sort of clash will be you have people that come out for a, tr a tree change or a, a lifestyle from Melbourne to retire and they, they don't understand that, You've bought a property next to a farm, but the cows go moo and they excrete. You know, there will be days that the calves will scream, the bulls will scream, the, the cows will poo and the wind will blow their way. Uh, tractors drive down the road and, and block the road because they're towing a heap of machinery behind them. And that's rural life. You know, there's dust, there's, yeah. And they'll complain about it to the council, you know. I've, I've heard of cases where people have complained, oh, no, the neighbour's cows are mooing too much or, you know, um, someone's got to work a paddock at a certain time of day because it's all weather dependent. Now, today's great for me to talk to you because I've, I can't really do too much in the rain, whereas three days ago I was fixing a fence, I was tending a fire to burn tree debris from the storms. Um, I was looking to do a whole lot of stuff you can only do in dry weather. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a job that's very weather-dependent. Uh, awesome. Uh, and then roads. You're talking about uh, roads. Anyone who lives on or travels on our unsealed roads deserves a smoother and safer experience. Yeah, How do you I'm, see that I'm, challenge being dealt with? Well... You probably, it's like everything. It comes down to money. You can fix anything with money, but we sort of need to understand I'm not in council. I'm not privy to their budget of where they're spending, what they're planning. I know that I looked at one that was reducing in the next few years for that, but I believe there's only 12 staff on council that are challenged with all these thousands of kilometres of dirt roads. And they do a great job, but obviously they're spread pretty thin. You know, there's holes in the road, there's potholes, they, um, yeah, we've sort of got to look to understand what, where, and how it can be improved. Um, it's just, you know, it's it's something you hear across the whole shire from Nyora down to Welshpool. There's, there's, um, you see people comment on, you know, social media about something. You'll go, oh yeah, we're going to look in the council do better, and someone will go roads. You go, oh, your road too. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's, it's a constant. It's a constant gripe, and you sort of look at it and you go, why? Why? You know, you see the guys that work for the council are doing a good job and they they are working there. It's not like, you know, they're doing a half job or anything. It's just there's something there that it isn't it isn't producing the desired outcome for the for the community. So I don't know what it is, whether it's a it's a better headcount 
in the crew that do the roads and some better equipment and maybe some more money for some, or they look at different products or we learn some new techniques. I don't know, but you sort of see it's graded, it's got new gravel, and a week later it's it's back to how it was a week ago. <clears throat> sorry. Don't be sorry. That's what we're here for. Hear, what, hear what's possible. going on. Um, now, the letters to the editor are pretty interesting at the moment, and there's some commentary um, about um, this craziness of equitable spending around town because every area needs a main town and to spread the funds doesn't really build that centre. Um, yet I see in your little points in the Sentinel this week, equitable spending is a, across all the towns equally is a thing for you and it's definitely yeah. a thing for me. So do you want to talk to that um, disparity between yeah. building up main towns um and... Yeah, I'm sure that there's times when every, everyone gets a little bit and it needs to be a bit more transparent of how and why it goes where it goes. I'm sure that to do a project in one area in one year, like I know you're passionate about sewage for Fish Creek, so, you know, you might do something about that or you might do something about the roads in a certain part of the Shire. You might do the, the roads in Welshpool this year, but you're going to focus on the, the roads in Nyora next year and then you might go to Lock the year later, then you might go to Dumbork, then you might go to Merbu. And as long as there's a program and people can see that their roads will be getting more work or an upgrade or, or their footy ground's going to get a new set of club rooms in, as, as there's a bit of a program and you can see that everyone's getting a share around, I think it would work a bit better. At the moment, people are sort of a bit confused. I know there was a lot of talk about different projects being cancelled and a lot of money going into a rail trail, well, it looks like the state government provided a lot of funding back for that later, but there was always the risk that the, the Shire wouldn't get that funding. So people sort of go, well, you know, what? why am I paying these rates with sort of not much love? And I understand that, you know, city councils have got a hell of a lot more rate payers and a lot more properties to to draw off. But, yeah, there's um, there seems to be a bit of a consensus around the Shire that we pay quite a lot of rates and we don't know what we actually get for it whereas you know you, you, you buy a property with with the open disclosure of what the rates are so you're happy to live here you know you're going to pay those rates but then you sort of go well how where's the waste or where's it being spent where can we do ourselves a better deal across the shire so um you'd be open to opening up the council meetings again so having more of an Absolutely. open yeah Absolutely. I would be the kind of guy that would, would want people to walk the street and go, hey, I've got this idea, this, this and this. And you go, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Can you, you know, jot it down or get a thing together, get a submission and take that sort of thing to council. Let the public in to see what goes on. It's essentially, if you're working as a councillor, you're a servant of the people. You're, you're not there for your own reasons. You should not be there if you, you're there to do it for self-promotion or... Uh, for any other reason um you know I, I to be honest i don't actually even know what the money involved is it's more a case of you're doing the right thing by the committee and you're trying to give them a balance and um the there's a push uh by candidates in the coast award to declare a climate emergency um how do you see that declaration um uh, that's a, that's an interesting subject with me. I 
I would never deny as a species we can do a whole lot better for the environment and for the world. Um, I suppose I've, I've lived long enough and lived through enough emergencies and panics. I mean, I was sort of, I grew up in the, in the early 80s when everyone thought Reagan and Gorbachev were going to nuke us to the Stone Age and we were all going to fry and we're all panicked and terrified of that. Um, I sort of look at this whole climate emergency, carbon trading, global warming thing as someone's commoditized it. There's a reason carbon's a commodity. And I, I think someone's trying to get rich off it. I think before we try and punish the whole, the whole commercial world of Australia, we sort of need to look at where do we send all the stuff that we send that pollutes and what does, what does that affect from the other side of the world? Why aren't we taxing that? Why aren't we taxing our coal and gas exports um, if, it's, if it's such a thing? Um, Australia is only a little, little part of this. Okay, we can lead and we can lead by example, but we could look at the waste and the plastic and the other garbage we produce in this country that you know, has no benefit to the world. I mean, there were supermarkets giving away fake tiny plastic groceries. All they did was end up as landfill. That's no way to use the resources of the world. But, yeah, um, the whole climate emergency and then you're beholden to a whole lot of um, policies and requirements that someone who's very, very green-focused has dreamt up is, yeah, it's not something I'm – I'll never say never, but it's not something I see myself subscribing to immediately. Yeah. And we were chatting in our pre-chat the other day about this point that um, I think is super important is the better access to housing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah like, like you're probably saying, I'm an interesting sort of book. I've got lots of different things and some of them are quite social and some of them are quite to the other extreme. I am astounded that you know, I've got people I deal with every day. I've got a lady who works in a, a shop I deal with through business weekly. And she said the other day, oh, I saw you're in the paper. Thank you. You act, And I know you actually mean it. Um, I've had to move three times in three years because my house, now the houses I rent keep going up price or get sold or whatever. And, you know, she be a single mum with a couple of kids. Um, and it's just, it's, um, it's just shocking. Um, another girl works in a shop I go into she said oh yeah she was really sad one day and we'd, we'd sold her and a um, fella a couple of uh, chooks and I hear your chooks oh yeah and they, they you know they died or whatever do you want some more no no we have to move okay so what's up oh you know they're going to develop the block we're on and knock down the house oh okay that's a bit sad so when you're moving I don't know we're, we're looking in the Latrobe Valley because in Maui because there's nothing here there's nothing to rent and you're like are you serious I actually saw her a couple of days ago. I said, oh, that was you know, six months ago. Did you move it? She said, oh, well, they haven't thrown us out, but we can't find anything, even that far. And it's just, you know, and you just see it and you go, how can people be expected to live and work here? Like, we need staff to work on farms. We need staff to work in cafes and restaurants and bakeries. Um, where are we going to house them if everything now is a bit Airbnb? Um, there's all these houses around us that were traditionally rented that now aren't, they're all sort of locked up five days of the week because they're making just as much money out of a weekend and they have the flexibility to say, oh, well, school holidays, I won't rent it out, I'll come here myself, which it's there, right? People that own the property can do it. But, yeah, the housing thing is terrifying. I've got a neighbour who 
my brother's builder, and um, he said to us a couple of years ago, "Oh, I've got this house on the farm, and it's a bit needs a bit of work. What do you reckon we do with it?" And we went and looked at, went, "Mate, put a dozer through it. It's it's pretty, you know, pretty far gone. It's going to cost you a lot of money to fix it." They subsequently fixed it because they had to, because they had to find somewhere to house a farm manager and his family. And they couldn't find the guy anywhere to live. And then they needed him to run their farm, to work in their farm. And it was like, they put us, I dread to think what it cost them to fix it, but they fixed this house up. And then when the farm manager, he um, moved on, went back to do something else within his own family on one of their farms, was don't tell anyone the house is empty. Don't tell anyone the house is empty because we're going to need it as the package to employ the next manager. Please don't tell anyone it's empty. Otherwise, there'll be people here begging you to rent it. So, you know, that, that's that's astounding how bad it is. And I don't know what you do. It seems to be a statewide thing. I've got a daughter who's in Bendigo and she was in the process of looking to build and she's actually just bought a house this week because same thing, they, they, their lease was going to be up in three months and they cannot find another rental. Yeah, housing security. Um, obviously, I look after near on 70 homes in Sandy Point for holiday let. Um, brings a lot of economics to the area, but then makes it very hard for the people that make their income oh. out of those homes, cleaning them and stuff, to find accommodation nearby. Yeah, it, it really. I mean, there was there was a chef in a restaurant I know of in um, in a town here in South Gippsland, and the um, the owner said something. Said, "Oh, you yeah, know, my chef lives on Phillip Island, and he commutes yeah. to you know every day." I mean, yeah. that's insane. The guys who own Fish Creek Pub have Minion Pub and they publicly in the paper bought a house in Minion and Stony Creek to house their staff. The venue yeah. manager of Fish Creek, I was meeting him. Oh, where, do you, where are you from? Where do you live? And he goes, oh, Werribee. Like, yeah, it's, um, it's a challenge. Like <laughs> we, everyone wants the tourism to grow and bring everyone down here for that economics, come and see our wonderland. Um, but then we need the staff to service that. And they need to live yeah. somewhere. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I mean, even, even staff to work in ag, you know, if um, if you want to put on a guy and milk and he's got a family and you need to find him somewhere to live, it's it's near on impossible unless you've got something. And, uh, yeah, the, I mean, then there's the, the whole argument about the size of blocks and what can be developed and what can't be developed. And that's, that's a whole other thing that probably needs a really good review. But I, I don't see any benefit either in subdividing agricultural blocks and turning them all into houses because this is we're, we live in the most reliable climate in Australia, we've got reliable rainfall, it rains here, we get water we grow grass, we grow food and to end up like packing them where it's just you know it's just rows and rows of houses isn't going to work for us as a, as a, as a species or as a, as a country because where's our food going to come from? Yeah we need to be so conscious of high use case, highest use case of the land that we have that's for sure yeah, yeah. um all right scott what else do we need to know about you if we're gonna vote for you no what else would we know about me i'm, I'm sort of I suppose rubbish is another one that i'm sort of keen on i um i saw one fellow saying he thought that um hard rubbish collections were a good idea i'm sitting up here on the side of the road last week there was a truck tire a couple of couple of cushions um probably look at the amount of rubbish that's dumped around the place and think that you know i remember as a kid you used to get your rates notice and you got you know two free passes to the tip and green waste um 
you know, we're all burning all this green waste because sometimes the council takes it for free, sometimes they don't. Um, you know, environmentally, had had woods that well, probably not great. Some of it won't compost, but yeah, I just sort of look at the rubbish and go, is there a better way to deal with the rubbish around the shire as well? Cool, cool. Um, so traditional council rates rubbish and recreation. Yeah, your, your roads need to be well maintained. Your, your recreation, you need to make sure there's sporting facilities for the kids, you know, that you've got a golf course, you've got, you know, a footy ground, a netball court, a hockey field, whatever, you know, basketball courts. That's the sort of stuff that, you know, councils, I suppose, traditionally cover. Um, rubbish, yeah, um, yeah. Farmers don't pay for a rubbish collection, but, you know, they have to pay for their own rubbish collection, so they, you know, to... Yep, someone brings me a skip and I have a commercial arrangement. I mean, in towns, they have a bin. Um, that's fine. I don't pay for, you know, the bin, but I don't get one, I suppose. But, you know, the, the way that rubbish is removed, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, hard rubbish collections or tip passes or something are probably something we need to consider to stop people dumping and by all means increase the penalties for people that do get caught dumping. And, you know, you could probably go back to the argument about some of these um, Airbnb properties. No rubbish service. They're told to take their rubbish home with them. How often do you find rubbish dropped in your bin on the side of the, the road at your farm gate from someone who's been staying in a holiday house? Okay, they're putting it in a bin, but I'm pretty sure some of them don't. I could go over the road in the bush and show you bags and bags of rubbish dumps. Um, maybe do some legislation around that, that if you're going to have a, a rental property, you have to provide a bin service. Um, so yeah, rubbish. It's more the it's more the dumping and so forth that I'm a, I'm a big advocate. It's got to be stopped. So, and I know that the council doesn't control the price of rubbish. It was a state government thing that they put up the the tax on landfills. So I understand that the price of the tip went up. But still, it's we've got to provide people with an option to move their rubbish on. And we could look at better ways of recycling too. Um, there's things like silage wrap. As a farming community, we would produce tons of plastic silage wrap off, off uh, silage bales. Yeah, I've often wondered about that. And, and, you know, you can get bags to send it and recycle it and they cost money or you can put it in the big blue or silver bin that goes away to landfill and scratch your head and go, why can't we, you know, as a, as a community, look at how we can reuse that or turn it back into something. And uh, what made you run for council, Scott? If you couldn't see yourself being here and now you're here, what... what it, was, uh, it, was just, it was so out of, was so out of touch with, uh, with that bylaws that was just like, really, if, if, if I don't stand up and I don't have a go and I don't, you know, put my hand up, I'll never be able to complain if I get burdened with that whole, you have to register every cow and you have to register every sheep type thing. And it might not be that that comes up, it'll be something else. So it was like, yeah, look, that, that slipped through and, and they let that one go. So that was, the, that was the first drive. And then I just had people tap me on the shoulder after that and go, oh, you should run for council. No, nah, nah, you don't let me. I don't want to play that game. And it came down to a point where I was sort of, I think I was even vocal when the council said that they had five places for women predetermined 
and funded to go and do a government course in you know being a counsellor and so forth in training. It was like, well, there's nine counsellors. We pre-decided that we're going to have five women. Is it? What's what's going on here? And I even went out and said to some of them, they said, oh, no, we need someone that's been in agriculture and can speak and will talk to the public and they're not afraid to talk to people. You'd be perfect. I'm like, well, no, they'd like some women. Is there any farmers' wives and anyone in ag or small business that wants to stand? And a couple of people said, no, 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 no. You're, you're the guy. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm probably not. You know, I'm, I'm probably a bit blunt sometimes. And, you know, I've probably said some things in the public that you know, could be misconstrued. They went, no, no, you're out there, well. And I said, oh, well, all right, well, if no one else will do it, I'll do it. You know, I, I can I can donate the money to someone's campaign if they want, you know, some business cards. And no, no. And that just came down to where I looked at it and went, you know what? There there was there was Moya who's um from a farming and small business background, and there's another fellow there, David, who's out of small business, but it was like, well, there's a lot of people with some some of them have got some great great environmental goals i've spoken to a couple of them about their their stuff and like sarah the other day uh, yesterday but there was no one that was really ag based or passionate about farming i thought well i've got to give someone an option and some balance that there'll be a different opinion in there because you do need different opinions and um i said well i'll give it a go i'll have a go it was you know it wasn't last minute but it was pretty close to i went and did the training and said all right i'll I'll give this a whirl. So I've got no real idea what I've got myself in for to an extent, but I'm prepared to go in there and listen to people and try and give some balance to it. Awesome. And one last question, and then you can go back down the hill and uh, check on your cows. Well, the rain stopped. Um, if you had to be a politician for a day, uh, sit in their shoes, dead or alive, Australian politician, which one would you be and why? Well, on the whole independent angle, I do have a very soft spot for Jackie Lambie. Um, probably the fact that she has seen life and she uh, she won't sort of take anyone's anyone's crap. She you know she she sort of stands up for the average person. Her and Bob Catter, they're both very independent and very sort of focused on on their beliefs. Um, would have to be my answer because I don't think I really want to ever be one of the other ones where they're beholden to that whole argument of oh you know the, the, the party the party says I'm, I'm yeah I'm very against that whole thing so that would probably be yeah Jackie or um, Bob Catter. Cool, cool. All right, Scott. If you uh, feel that that's your message out there, then we'll call it a day and let you get back to your farm. Yeah, I don't think that there was anything else you could have to tell when you sort of sit in the car. And, you know, I think we sort of covered <laughs> off the thing I spoke about. Um, yeah, well, I could commend much. you on finding the time and not using terrible weather and internet as a challenge oh, to like being here. So thank you for making it yeah. happen. I suppose that shows my commitment. If I say I'm going to do something, I'll do it. Yeah. So yeah, I loaded, I loaded Zoom onto my phone and I drove to the top of the hill to talk to you, Craig. Yeah, you got it done. Thank you, mate. I appreciate your time. Talk to you again soon. Thank you very much, Craig. And I, I'm actually quite sad you didn't run. I think you would have been a great candidate. Um, yeah. Yeah. Bit, bit but, green, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, we'll see what happens in three years. All right. No worries. Thank you, Craig. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. 
see all the candidates in one place so you can understand who is in your ward and who you can vote for, go to craigprivet.com.au found in the show notes and the candidate you just listened to will have all their contact details in the show notes as well. Share the podcast far and wide and let's have a really open and transparent election. Bye for now.